This is a Young Pharma Business Program podcast. You're listening to The Business of Farming, a series of talks from the Young Pharma Business Program, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. I'm Selena Shannon, and this episode was recorded at the 2021 conference in Dubbo. A large portion of farms in Australia are multi-generational farms, passed down through the family line. But not every farmer starts off that way. In this session, Mitch Hyatt, Mel Keel, and Hayley Patterson come together on stage to talk about how they're forging their own paths to farm ownership. Yeah, we just tell everyone that wants to know and, and is keen to listen what we're trying to do. And we found that the opportunities just start coming in. You've got to be able to act on those opportunities, but you, you can't be quiet about what you want to achieve because no one's going to be able to help you if they don't know what you want to do. Mitch, Mel and Haley show us the many different routes to farm ownership and how you don't need to inherit a farm to stand on your own two feet. Haley Patterson is a cattle farmer from Daniloquin. She and her husband Matt started investing in livestock to grow their savings while working in a farm management role on someone else's property. Those cattle ended up helping them secure finance to purchase their first property when their cash deposit fell short. For 10 years, they worked off-farm, produced cattle on their property, and shot rabbits professionally to meet their mortgage obligations. Now, Haley and Matt are finally in a position to shift their focus to enterprises that will give them a better work-life balance, including paddock-to-plate beef and agritourism. Mel Keel and her husband David's early attempts at cattle trading at Burke weren't exactly successful, but by attending courses and upskilling, they managed to build a successful livestock trading business with enough equity to purchase a farm near Yeovil. They've been renovating their fixer-upper for the last 10 years, while they continue working towards expanding both their business and their landholding. Mitch Hyatt didn't grow up on a farm, but he inherited a passion for agriculture from his grandfather. After travelling the world and working in both agriculture and corporate finance, he started a farm management business, servicing Bathurst, Cowra, Orange and the Surrounds. He's using this business as a stepping stone to farm ownership. Guys, you've all taken part in the podcast. Um, I've listened to them all, they're fantastic, and everyone will get access to them from June. Um, Sam visited you all at your properties and and had a chat to you about how you started your business. And the thing that um, you all have in common is that you didn't inherit a property in the first place. In fact, Mitch, you didn't even grow up on a property. So what made you want to go into this business? Um, Yeah, look, I've uh, loved agriculture ever since I was a young boy, and most of that comes from my grandfather. Um, he was a travelling rural salesman. Uh, used to come and tell me stories about you know, some of the antics he'd get up to on the stations uh, where yeah, you could get away with probably a lot more than you can now. Um, and then, yeah, from there, the, the passion just continued to grow um, and I've quickly figured out it was all I wanted to do. What about you, Mel? What makes you so passionate about what you do in a day-to-day business? Chris was talking ironically there about working from home. I mean, everyone here works from home. It's something that we've all come to to grapple with over the last 12 months, but it is a 24-7 job. So what makes you want to do it all the time? Yeah, so I'm at Yeovil at Central West New South Wales, and yeah, I just love managing cattle, trading cattle, and looking after the landscape. So it's a a real passion, and I can combine a farm job with that as well. So it's um, yeah, it's really good. And Hayley, for you? Uh, yeah, just um, 
the lifestyle, love the lifestyle, and I really love um, being able to produce a really good product and to be proud of it. I think a lot of what we've heard today, particularly with Lynn, was about succession and, and the challenges of, of taking over someone else's property, even if it is a family property. So let's talk about the challenges with starting out from, from scratch. Mel, what did you start with? How long ago? A lot of capital, nothing at all, alone? So we started some time ago with a really small property um, near Minildra and we uh, went into a, an adjustment um, venture at Burke with over 200 head of um, cows and calves and that didn't go so well uh, due to infrastructure and a lack of knowing where our end game was with those cattle. So we pulled back from them and I was really... Um, fortunate then I did quite a lot of upskilling and quite a few courses and so here we are now trading using KLR marketing principles and yeah it's yeah it's going really well and but it is slow and steady and we're there to make a profit it's a business um, but I love the lifestyle that creates for us so. So it didn't go well in the beginning what was the hardest no. lesson you learnt when you took your first steps and failed? Uh, financially it was huge and it was 15 years ago we had two young children so it wasn't great. We did a lot of toing and froing from Burke to Manildra. Infrastructure wasn't good, our plan wasn't good, we just went all in and thought oh, yep we'll just go all out straight but we didn't really have a plan so now obviously everything we do now is planned out, well thought out, um, yeah so it's yeah. There's got to be profit in every, every trade. I'm not just doing it for the fun of it. So. <laughs> I think that was one of the other things that came through in the podcast is uh, although people can look at young farmers and think, you know, maybe they don't have a, an, enough experience or we're not going to give them a loan, but what they do have is energy and the willingness to give it a crack. And Mel, you found that early on. You know, if you wouldn't necessarily take on the projects and the properties and the homes you took on at the time, uh, again, mm. but... <laughs> You had the capacity to do it and you just gave it a crack and that made the, the difference for you guys. Yeah, we were really fortunate. Um, the property that we ended up buying at Yeovil had been really run down. The house, the landscape, goats had been run there. There was no water or wire to any paddocks, so which enabled us to get in at quite a good um, buy-in rate. And we've obviously improved that significantly now. Um, yeah, so that's made a huge difference. We wouldn't have been able to come in at that higher level, that's for sure. Um, and obviously trading, because it um, gives us cash, cash flow monthly, yeah, that suits our business and that's what we, we base it around. Let's talk about mistakes that you've made. You touched on, Mel, what happened at Burke. Hayley, perhaps for you, was there a mistake you made early on that, that maybe helped you in the long run, changed the, the course of your business that you learnt from and perhaps sharing what you did learn today? Uh, I think having, um, getting the experience of managing a place early, we were able to make most of our mistakes uh, for the boss. <laughs> On someone else's place? <laughs> yeah, so that was good. Um, yeah, I suppose um, learning how to um, pitch better to banks. Um, yeah, now I know what I'm doing and it's a lot easier. What about you, Mitch? I make mistakes every day. Like it's um, it, it's constantly happening, and I'm constantly reminded of it. But um, I think for us, we uh, we make sure we kind of learn from them a bit. Um, we yeah, we're not under any illusion that you know things happen to plan. So we kind of work towards um, learning from them and, and moving forward. Um, but yeah, some of the biggest ones we made, I think everyone will kind of you know go through is 
you know, buying things at the right, wrong prices or thinking you're, you know, you've got much more leverage than you actually do and, and just finding yourselves in those sticky, sticky spots. But you, know, you learn from those and you always find a way out. Like you'll put yourself in there and if you're keen enough, you'll find a way out of it. Do you think it's easier, question to all of you, to start with a property that you've inherited or to start with nothing? I guess it has benefits and, and you know, the flip side to that, obviously. Obviously, what yeah, do you think? There's obviously pros and cons to that. In our situation, we didn't have that choice. But I think what it enables us is that we don't have any old paradigms that we need to live by or pass things by. So it's just Dave and I making our own choices and decisions. Um, so that works really, really well for us. And um, yeah, I think. What about you, Mitch? What do you think? Yeah, look, I was always jealous of mates that had, you know, generational farms. Like, you know, they were, I always thought they were getting a pretty good, you know, kickstart along. I then subsequently found out that they were pretty jealous of me not having that. So. I mean, it, it's, a, it's probably a slower process. Like, you, you don't have that, you know, instant equity or you don't have that, um, you know, access to machinery and, and, and that experience as well um, on the one farm. But on the flip side too, like you were saying, it's, it's you get to create what you want. Um, so kind of what, the, where we wanted to go is I'm the dictator of how that happens. Um, it's only kind of, you know, me and the team. Um, so that's, that's pretty good. What do you think, Harry? Yeah, I think um, having our own place... Um, is definitely better. What about you, Mitch? I mean, you spoke about striking that delicate balance, you know, with your time off and, and time at work. But in terms of people who are out there right now thinking, I want to start a similar business or, you know, want to put all of my efforts into that, how much effort is it? Is it seven days a week for you? Yeah, look, it, you're, you're on call 24-7. Um, but I also, you know, same kind of thing. We, I do have off-farm income. I mean, I decided to remove the biggest expense out of the business, which was myself, um, and supplement that with some off-farm income. Fortunately enough, um, I was able to do, you know, part-time work, which was, you know, PAYG. It was nothing to do with the business. And that, you know, let me live. And then I really, that gave me the ability to, for the farming enterprise to really prosper and grow because every cent was getting just drilled straight back in. And yeah, it, it, it just meant that, uh, that, you know, we could do, probably take a few more risks and kind of meant that I had no free time, but you gotta do some things that, to make it happen. What about you, Hayley? So um, we, we decided um, that, yep, we'll crack out the work um, early. So um, we were working our, um, our day job and then at night we would go and professionally shoot rabbits. So we were <laughs> stupid hours, like um, huge, huge hours, um, weekends. Um, and then once we bought the farm, um, you know, that was our weekend work, was we'd work on our farm. Mm. So um, now, um, now we're in a fortunate position where um, we've only in the last three weeks brought in an experienced worker. It's really taken the pressure off and gives us the mental capacity to think, okay, what are we going to do next? All right, let's talk about the practicalities. Um, Hayley, you mentioned being better at, at pitching pitching to banks, all right? So give us your top tips for finding finance and pitching to a bank and pitching your case. Um, yeah, probably get um, get all your financials. Um, instead of going to the bank and saying, oh, you know, what do you need? Um, do that first. So, um, like, research what, what a bank is going to need and then walk in there um, organised as all hell so they're like, oh... These people know what they're doing. They understand finances. 
10, yeah. In fact, you touched on that, Mitch, because you said there can't be too much data that you give to the banks. I'm sure a lot of, there's not that much trust in banks, so people probably are reticent to do that, but you think the opposite. Yeah, look, my experience with, um, with banks has been quite different. I don't know if that's because I've just had good bank managers or, or my background, but really they see, you know, hundreds of thousands of businesses come through their door, see the things that kind of work and what doesn't. Um, and I've found them almost an invaluable source in bouncing ideas off, showing them my financials and they can benchmark it against the range of people that they've got in their service area. Um, I'd also say on that too, there's some pretty great uh, um, areas that you can kind of look at to help with business plans and things like that. Um, I, one of the jobs that I do is I work with Business Connect as an ag advisor. Um, and we do exactly that. We sit down, understand what, the, what you're wanting to achieve and then help write the plans out and do the financials. So there is a lot of um, access to assistance out there that's you know, government supported, like it doesn't cost you anything, um, which can be really helpful if you're just trying to get started and trying to get the ball rolling. In fact, later on this afternoon, we're gonna focus on how you can access the business coaching um, through the DPI as well, which we'll talk about a bit more. Um, quick one on that one, Mel, if you've got a tip for, for taking your taking your information to the bank? I'd say preparation is key. When we first went into it, we had some trades under our belt, so we went to the bank with spreadsheets of trades, and we were really clear around our, our intention with the property and where we wanted to go. And I do remember her looking quite taken back that we'd gone in with all this paperwork, and um, yeah, she was really impressed by that, so. How old were you at that stage? Uh, so that was 10 years ago, and yeah, I just so, said preparation so is 15. key. That's good. That's it. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, a couple of questions here on tips for growing capital for a deposit. And Mitch, you took an approach to that in terms of really diversifying your income before you went down the path of starting a business. What did you do? Yeah, so um, from an early age, I was always investing uh, whatever money I did earn before I had it to go into cattle or something like that. I was looking at, uh, you know, share portfolio. Also, something that I learned from going to a bank ready workshop was actually looking at actually purchasing residential property first. I mean, you can do it at five, ten percent and build equity in that, uh, have someone in there renting it and, and, you know, they're paying for the mortgage. So I looked at that as a strategy as well. And what that has given me the ability to do as well is go to, when I go to the bank, is you've got proven history and being able to repay um, significant debt. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've got a, not a huge portfolio, but a diverse portfolio in residential property. Um, and then something more liquid like the share market. Um, I certainly do not confess to be a Warren Buffett, but I'm just doing pretty basic stuff um, in, in low risk index funds and stuff like that. So the, the money's no good in the bank. It may as well go into something that you know, has a chance of growing. In terms of key professionals in your business team, it's a great question. Who are the people you have around you that help inform your business decisions? Things like bank manager, accountant, agronomist. Who, what about you, Hayley? Who do you, who do you turn to? in terms of who you ask for advice, uh, yeah. financial or, or other? Yeah, um, definitely my old man. Um, he's been really influential as to how we can um, market our products better, um, like with um, EU accreditation, um, you know, how to navigate the stud industry. Um, yeah, so definitely him. Um, my father-in-law is an agent so that's a really handy contact. He um, he helps us watch the market. Um, you know, if if he can, if he's got, um, if he reckons that the cattle market's going to slip, well then we'll go and sell early before it slips. What about you, Mitch? 
yeah, I think we touched on the, the bank managers, but same thing, like the, the stockies that we deal with, um, you know, we, we really rely on their input into what we're doing. And again, like I'm not very, um, I'm not very kind of, I suppose, uh, relaxed in, in telling everyone what, we're, what our plan is. Like the more people that know what we're trying to do, the more people come to us with opportunities or, you know, you told us you wanted whatever. So you are relaxed or you're not relaxed? You're Sorry, like, I, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I just give it just all out. Just tell everyone. Yeah, yeah I just tell I was going to say, they can walk into your office and look at your whiteboards and they get a set of sense. That's right, they get a sense <laughs> in my brain and what's going on. But um, yeah, we just tell everyone that wants to know and, and is keen to listen what we're trying to do and we found that the opportunities just start coming in you've got to be able to act on those opportunities but you, you can't be quiet about what you want to achieve because no one's going to be able to help you if they don't know what you want to do well it's like sam on the plane sitting next to the bloke with the, you know who's keen to invest so those kinds of conversations do often pay off what about you mel who's part of your team that you go to for advice yeah, aside from the normal people, accountants and bank managers and whatnot, ours are probably more personal people that like-minded. Um, yeah, we get a lot of bounce ideas off and like-minded people really get you and they're in sync with you. So there's probably more benefit and we get more out of, yeah, finding people like that. Can you give us an insight, each one of you, into some lateral thinking you use for your business that helps you build it? I think, Mel, you mentioned on the podcast using Gumtree to sell cattle. So tell us about that process and, and, and what led you to it and how successful it's been. So I suppose one of the, when we made um, our first investment of those cows and calves in Burke, we didn't have any clear intention of the end goal for those cattle. We just we didn't really think about it. So now with my trades, I'm very, very clear on what is going to happen to those animals before I even purchase them. Um, and whether that be marketed on Gumtree, which is private sales, which I have um, quite a few of those I do now, which I really enjoy that interaction. Uh, obviously, Auctions Plus and the yards. So it's I know exactly where those animals are going, actually, before I even purchase them. And what about you, Mitch, a lateral decision that you made or, or that sort of differentiates your business from others? Um, I think, yeah, we're just our openness to, to try anything new. Um, I think Sam touched, we, we've been doing for a while where we've had investors come and, um, you know, we were using AgriFunder and StockCo to do a lot of our stock um, finance and we realised that, you know, those interest rates are ext pretty extortionate. Um, and so, especially during COVID where there was a lot of cash in the system, um, we had a lot of friends, well, I had a lot of friends that were coming up saying, look, I've got X, X amount of money, um, I have no idea what to do and I could offer them, you know, six, seven percent returns. Um, so we were starting to get some of that come in, um, which really helped, really helped us grow our herd quite quickly. You know, the way we did it was really, we, we kind of had a, um, a pretty basic contract that we had a lawyer write up um, and it, it gave them peace of mind because I personally guaranteed it, which is a risk, but you know, you've got to do something to get ahead. So, and ours are, ours are minimum 24 months. Um, so that, that's how we kind of thought a bit outside the box too. Um, we didn't just rely on in institutional debt, we looked out at other sources and, and, uh, and came up with that solution. What about you, Hallie? Is there something that you think, right, we did this differently to the people next door? Yeah, um, particularly next door. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, really concentrating on um, the, the end goal for each particular class of stock. So, you know, we go and we go and buy in um, merino ewes and put them to a terminal sire, um, and we know what where they're going to end up with the cattle. Like we're always looking for opportunities. You know, what what new accreditations can we get? Um, and then 
also always keeping our eye on the um, out for um, you know drought assistance loans, um, you know things like that that can just for a bit of paperwork mm. um, can really affect affect your bottom line in a positive way. Yeah, make grants and whatnot and make a big difference. That probably leads us really really well to our next question. Did you ever feel like it was too much and wanted to stop? Times like drought. Mouse plagues, I'm sure lots of people are battling with here at the moment. <laughs> Belle, was there ever a time you thought, man, this is just too much for us? No, honestly, no. We really enjoy it. We love what we do. It creates the lifestyle for us that we want. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty passionate about it, um, providing a product, um, taking animals from one class to another, and then the whole time encompassing that with um, landscape health. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. What about you, Hallie? Yes, yeah, <laughs> um, because uh, I think we were just so um, addicted to work um, that it, it just uh, affected our f uh, work-life balance a bit too much. Yeah, mm. so, and um, thank goodness we have actually made changes to, um, to improve on that. What was the, if you don't mind me asking, the, the, the crunch point there that made you realise that? Yeah, it was a. I think it was a, a slow burn. Yeah, there wasn't actually a particular uh, point, but um, yeah, I just got sick of it. And was there a conversation you had to have within your own family to say, right, we just can't kind of go on like this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think there was a fair few conversations. Yeah, yeah the culminated in a change, which is, which is great. Um, base skills and knowledge you had, or you wish you had at the beginning, or perhaps start off with Mel, what you did have. What did you start out with? Did you go to uni? Did you um, go to TAFE? What, what skills did you actually start out with? And what do you wish you did start out with? Well, to be honest, if we hadn't had that debacle in Burke, we, I, it never would have pushed me to look for further answers. So I don't regret it at all. We actually had some good times doing it. Financially, it was not great. But, you know, it's over and done with now, and we've certainly made up for it in the it's meantime. Good, good takeaway though, because it probably pushed you to keep on learning and doing totally. other courses and, and you know, bringing yep. in more information into your business. What about you, Mitch? Um, yeah, look, I, it's probably not so applicable at the moment, but um, I just wanted to make sure that I got a full rounded education in agriculture. So like every kind of, I suppose, boy that loves farming and bulls, I went over to Texas straight after school and um, you know, I went and did road like three bulls and fell off within two seconds of each one of them but I still had that experience and I was able to do some farming over there and then went through uh, the UK um, and, and Canada as well so I think for, for me like the education I got from farming in other countries and, and being able to see what we do in Australia so well compared to those really helped and, and some of the vice versa stuff. Um, certainly I wish I uh, understood the financial side of things earlier than I did um, just because that would have helped with a whole lot of, um, you know, probably I might be two years ahead of where I am now. Um, but, you know, those things kind of take time as well. I, I did a, a degree in, well, I went to uni. I don't know if I really should have the degree, but I, went, I turned up to uni and, and, and did that. So, um, you know, that, that certainly helped as well. And it, and it gave me, you know, it introduced me to mates that are, you know, fourth, fifth generation farmers, and I got to learn from their dads, them. So I got to, I got probably a little bit of a fast track in learning. Um, so probably more that, more so than just the formal education, it was the mates that I, I, I got there as well. What about you, Hallie? Yeah, I went. So besides from growing up on the farm, um, doing a gap year up at Warren, 
and then went to uni. What I wish I had have done was I wish we, we had I had travelled around and worked for more people and seen how other people run their business. That actually leads into this nicely. Jack asks um, his parents obviously want him to do an apprenticeship. How, how do you set yourself up for career paths so you end up in a management position? Is it travelling widely and, and, and learning from other people for starters, do you think? Yeah, I think um, uh, Sam saying when he was, he wouldn't stay in a job for very long because he wanted to keep learning. I think that's a really good model. Yeah, I, and in terms of um, families encouraging kids to go and get a trade so they can fall back on it, I think if you want to be a professional farmer, you want to invest in your um, in your education as a farmer because it is a really uh, it is a profession. And what do you think, in Jack's position, would be the best way for him to do do that? Find a, find a mentor, find someone's business he likes, wants to emulate and, and sort of match himself up with that as opposed to going through more of a traditional apprenticeship or traditional training? Uh, uh, there are companies that do offer like traineeships in agriculture. That's probably really useful because um, having some formal agricultural um, education is really, really helpful, particularly on your, you know, if you want to um, have it on your resume, um, and and always push, pushing your boss, saying, you know, I want to own a farm, so, you know, can I, can you teach me management stuff? Advice to people in terms of what you would do differently. Um, for, one, for people who are wanting to start out now, is there one sort of takeaway or advice you'd leave people with today, Mel, that would change, change the path for them? Uh, I think even touching back on that last question from Jack, you gather skills your whole life. So skills I use, I you know, learnt in nursing, I still use now and I use them in land care and whatnot. So I just say that those skills are always adaptable and can be put into your business. Um, I definitely get your head around finances. That's where our business does lack if I was to choose an area. So do as many courses as you can and really get your head around the finance aspect of it. What about you, Mitch? Um, yeah, I think uh, get, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think um, there's a, a lot of stages where I've felt like this is wrong, this is, you know, I, I'm out of my depth. Um, and I was really uncomfortable, but that's where I got probably the greatest learning. Um, and it might not even be anything to do with farming. It might be just attitudes. Um, it might be, you know, being able to pitch to, to banks, being able to pitch to investors. It's amazing how some of that stuff that you thought was never going to be any use for you on the farm actually does come up in later in life. Um, and, you know, back on that point for, I think it was Jack, um, Remember, it's not one or the other. You can do more than, you know, you can learn a trade but then still be farming. You don't, it might be that you're not full-time farming. Um, like I, I myself, I'm probably not full-time farming at the moment because I do so many other things, but the goal is to be a full-time farmer and that's, mm. that's the plan. Um, and sometimes, you know, I think Sam touched, you gotta kiss a few frogs, you gotta do some things that you might not wanna do to get there, so you know it's um, it's it's a process. And those kinds of skills can actually feed in later on and help you with that off-farm income. Is it your husband who's a mechanic? It's, yeah. yeah, your husband's yeah. a mechanic, Mel. So it allows you to. That answers one of our other questions. How important was off-farm income in terms of having something to fall back on? Well, it was huge for us because we were able to be stable, and then that gave us the freedom to look a bit more outside the box when we're looking for a property. Yeah. 
So it, well, it was crucial for us in our circumstance. Most satisfying achievement you've had in your farming career so far, Hayley? Cracking the one million for debt. <laughs> <laughs> Paying it back or just having it? Just having a million dollars worth of debt. <laughs> Why was that such a big achievement for you? <laughs> having the guts to do it. Yeah. And um, being able to, like it's a really euphoric feeling um, saying, yeah, now like that's, I can't believe we're big enough to have that much debt yeah, what about you, Mitch? Uh, look, yeah, there's been a few cigar moments, but um, I think uh, for me it's really... What's the littlest thing you've had a cigar for? Like the most ridiculous thing you've gone, you know what, I deserve a cigar for this. Waking up and going into the paddock. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. <laughs> Getting up. Yeah. Um, now, look, for me, um, I think because our business is a little bit different, being able to actually hold, you know, employees and, you know, because they're obviously you know, reliant on the business succeeding. Um, you know, it's not just my life now, it's other people that are affected by the success of the business. So for me, being able to always keep them going and also, um, you know, keeping, keeping the lights on. Mel? No cigars here. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think uh, taking, producing a product that I'm really happy with and why cattle are with me, they're happy and they're healthy and I'm big on animal health and I'm big on landscape health um, and that all integrates um, and to make me a profit and we've got a really happy family life so I can't ask for more than that. Yeah, huge achievement. Hayley, this is a question for you. Do you think you could start again today with current land prices or did the fact that you started 13 years ago give you, give you that leg up? Yeah, that's, it's, it, it'd be pretty scary getting into the land market now, but yeah, I reckon we could. Um, and I think um, networking is a big thing. Um, you know, finding, finding somewhere that you can put some livestock on adjustment and start building up your numbers. Um, you know, finding someone that, um, an agent that can, can look out for a, a deal on some cheap cattle that, that'll make you some money in the end. Um, yeah, net, net, networking is huge. Uh, Mitch, how often do you sit down and actually plan? Do you change up your whiteboards and, and reassess where you're going? Uh, you know, if not daily, you know, during the day as well. Like it's, you know, it's one of those things that, like I said, there's the short term, long term, um, and then the kind of, you know, daily and weekly. Um, but you know, the, it only takes one phone call to change that whole that whole thing. So, you know. If, for instance, we, we're looking now at a, at a cherry orchard that we might take on. So, you know, there's, there's different things there that um, you've got to be able to, to pivot as well. It can't be just steadfast. It's, it's just got to be um, manoeuvrable, yeah. Another question for you is um, how do you manage your city investor expectations when the drought hits and, and you're not getting that return that, that you were originally? Uh, communication, communication, communication. They're, they're ex as soon as like when we did go through the drought, we we took a, you know, quite a steadfast. We we just really kind of sold most of our stuff. We don't, you know, we're not big into the genetics or anything like that. We just are, are breeding to make money, um, and you know, we just keep the communication lines constantly open. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing quite like just saying you know, not not talking for two or three weeks and saying hey, you're not going to get your money. Um, we, we really bring them on the ride and, and we're also quite 
particular on who we bring in on um, on the business as well. It's you know you can't choose all of them, but you know we really do have a bit of a system there that we we like the people that we're working with and they understand the difficulties that exist in ag. All right, final question to each of you. Your next goal? What is it? What are you going to do next? What are you going to tackle? Are you change your business? Keep it the same? Get yeah. rid of your debt? <laughs> no, love, love debt. Love debt. So um, the next probably big step we're going to take is we want to expand again. The way we're going to do that is um, we've got a, quite a bit of equity because um, we have pretty well paid off our debt. Um, so... We've got one of the blocks that we bought is um, it's just a paddock. So we are going to, because we've got all this money locked up in superannuation, we're going to form a a, um, self-managed super fund. We're going to sell that block to the super fund, which unlocks all that capital. Um, Then we're going to lease that block back to our business. The capital that we've unlocked, we can then go and um, um, add that to the equity that we've already got and go and buy a bigger place. Wow. We keep the one you're on? No, maybe. Um, I'd love to live near a river so I can go fishing. So I don't know. We'll see. Watch your space. Mitch, what about you? Uh, get some new mates for one. Um, yeah. but, um, but they've, they've actually gone to the pub already. Yeah. We've lost them. We've got, um, no, f- for us, uh, one of the leases that I've got, we exercised a lease with an option to buy. So um, for me, that's going to be our next real big thing is, is making sure we're in a position that we can actually do that and, uh, and, yeah, just keep growing the business off the back of that. What about you, Mel? So we're just still continuing to build um, equity and scale as we go. We're just in a phase at the moment. We're nearly out of it uh, educating kids. We were really big on making sure they had a good education, um, just about off to uni, so we'll be able to um, get back into it. Uh, going forward. <laughs> Get the slight hint you're looking forward to that next stage of life, which is really exciting. Um, thank you so much for all of your wonderful questions and thanks so much to our panellists, Mel, Mitch, uh, Haley. It's been wonderful hearing um, all of your stories, all of your experience. And of course, if you want to listen to the new Propagate podcast, that will be uh, coming out in June. So you can visit everyone at their properties and, and hear more about their background stories. So a huge round of applause um, for all of our panellists. That was Mitch Hyatt, Mel Keel and Haley Patterson speaking at the 2021 Young Farmer Business Program Conference in Dubbo. This has been The Business of Farming, a podcast series brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. For free resources to help fast track your farm or fishing business, check out our website. The link is in the show notes. Missed any episodes? Listen back to all of them in our podcast feed. Find them in your podcast app or online. You should also check out our other podcast, Propagate, a series for farmers and fishers.